0: Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Keisha and Denise, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? It's honestly, it is going, um... We are here for the third time in my kitchen trying to record this episode. We have had some technical difficulties along the way, but we're we're feeling good about today. Maybe th- round 1 we had some mood <laughs> mood difficulties, round 2 technical difficulties. Third time's a charm. We're going to knock it out of the park for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome back to <laughs> Done with Debauchery. I'm Keisha. This is my co-host Denise. Hello. So today uh, we're doing something a little different. We are actually going to be doing a live drink tasting for this really cute drink called Kin Spritz Rising Flow. It's a functional beverage for modern rituals. Uh, we got It's a, a- nootropic,
1: actually. It's a nootropic. I don't even a, know what that, that technical. Is. Ter- that's a technical term. So I feel like it's like it essentially. I think stimulates like um some brain function stuff i'm gonna do a really terrible job i believe you that. um and i think also probably uh, can affect your nervous system so um like i know there's some bee products that can be used as nootropics there um are obviously like uh mushrooms that are used as nootropics I think there's mushrooms in this yeah yeah it's an adaptogen so yeah it's essentially uh assist your body to adapt stress and your nervous system and it's going to stimulate some brain function for us, I think.
0: I'm reading the important facts on the side and they're making me nervous. (laughs) Am I going to be able to drive my car home from here? I think so. It says, do not consume with alcohol. Use only as directed. Start with a single serving and increase slowly to determine the amount that works Imagine for you. Imagine if a bag of cocaine had... <laughs> <laughs> but a says cons- like, do not mix
1: with alcohol.
0: <laughs> Done that. Discontinue <Jack. laughs> <Just> <laughs> use immediately if you feel any unwanted effects. Uh, okay, we're... we're it's honestly fine. fine. We've been through enough. We're not going to have an, <laughs> an anaphylactic reaction to... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's ready to drink. Mind your mood, and it contains caffeine. So I'm just gonna it's, open it here. It's like that meme.
1: Have you seen it of people like uh, they're they're in like a nightclub, like taking drugs <laughs> from a stranger when they're in their 20s, and then you're like literally in your 30s. For me in my 40s, looking at the side of a container of Advil, being yeah. like, Can <laughs> I mix this with my vitamin B12?
0: Like we're gonna be okay. actually. <laughs> actually. Okay, here we go. You want to smell it i, I can wait till i okay. <laughs> <laughs> can
1: do it like a wine tasting what's the viscosity i don't know <laughs> okay. I medium middle. plus <laughs> okay Here we go. we're using really fancy glass guys too bad they're you can't really see cute can
0: we take a little picture yeah sure does my hair look amazing? You look cute. I'm so glad that we are also That's recording fun. this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Mm, it's good. I really like it, actually.
1: Yeah, it almost has like a beer vibe to it a little bit. It's a little hoppy, but it's also bitterly carbonated. Yeah, but it's also almost not sweet. It's got like a little bit of a bitter mm-hmm. aftertaste, which I kind of like because I think what gets to be... A little overwhelming for me with all of some like the the NA like mocktail, like pre-mixed stuff is that
0: everything has a lot of sugar in it. Yeah, it does really feel, sweet-y. yeah, where this doesn't have that at all. So I don't think it actually has any sugar. Oh, total sugar is five grams, but I'm it totally also bad. has xylitol. So that's kind of like, I think it's a sweetener made out of like birch bark or something. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like a sugar alcohol, I think.
1: Is mm. it a sugar I don't
0: yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, check in with us in thirty minutes and see how we're feeling. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's gonna it's gonna be good. Yeah. So on our last episode, um, I did mention at the beginning that I was going to try a new plant based restaurant called Gia here in Toronto. So I have been, it was honestly a 10 out of 10 experience. Everything on the menu was delicious. I didn't have one thing that I didn't like. They had a really delicious uh, mushroom tortellini pasta, really nice vegetables, everything was so fresh. They didn't have a specific mocktail menu, but the bartender was really sweet and really thoughtful. And he did whip me up to uh, delicious non-alcoholic drinks. They were very um, kind of fruity, which is what I asked for. And just kind of perfect for summer. So overall, a great experience. I love that. And I think it just goes to show that...
1: You know, don't be shy, like, if you don't see options on the menu, Mm -hmm. like, most uh, restaurants want to be accommodating uh, if you just...
0: If you just Speak ask, truth, you yeah. just gotta
1: ask. Like, yeah, you shouldn't feel shy about it because had you been feeling, like, a little uncomfortable, like, to ask A, maybe you would have been like, fuck it, I'm just gonna have alcohol. Yeah. Uh, or B, just, like, drank water and been, like, disappointed the whole time, yeah. you know? So if you don't ask, you don't get.
0: And while we were waiting for our table, they actually sat us at the bar, which mm. I kind of have mixed feelings about. Like, I don't always like to watch all the drinks being made. But it did give me a chance to, like, chat with the bartender and kind of, like, communicate, like, what I wanted without alcohol. And then when we actually were sat at our table, like, he knew, like, okay, this is going to her and, like, this is what she likes. So he already had an idea of what to make me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because we sat at the bar uh, at Julietta in uh, Yorkville and it was kind of triggering. I think Mm -hmm. we were both, like, white-knuckling it through that, that experience the whole time. And... I think even if you decide not to drink, it may just, like, start the ball rolling of, like, a continual trigger if you're not able to kind of nip it. Just to see it right in your face, like, doesn't always feel good. Yeah, it was, like, to the left, to the right. Like, everybody is enjoying their wine, and it seems like everybody is able to moderate. I feel like that comparisonitis starts to come up, and it, like, yeah, it starts to, like, trigger, like, I think... A that like self talk of like watching everyone moderating, wondering why you're not able to just have a little bit of wine, but then it starts to start the conversation
0: of like, I could be. Able I could to. too. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. realistically, we don't actually know if the people at the other end of the bar are moderating. No. Like We have no idea what's going on in their world, but it, yeah.
1: But it looks like they're having a great time, and yeah. especially in like a fancy Toronto restaurant where everyone's like dressed up and on dates, and like mm-hmm. you know, you it's like it's like a highlight reel. You're seeing a highlight reel. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So this week is a follow-up episode to the last one that we released where we were talking just about parents who are alcoholics and some of the impacts and risks for children that would grow up in homes where there is heavy substance use or heavy drinking. And when we were, you know, putting together information for that topic, we really started to realize that there was a whole other kind of untouched topic on... Traits or you know how that manifests in adults. So it's just essentially,
0: sorry, adult traits of kids. (laughs) Adult (laughs) children. It's ACOA. It's the adult children of alcoholics. Wow, thanks for helping out. (laughs) That mushroom drink is going straight to your. But yeah, I think that it is um, a really big topic. I know that there's been multiple books written about it over the years. Um, It is something that I think that I identify with. I want to minimize it and say a little bit, but I I do have a hard time um, sort of putting myself in that category and putting those labels on my parents. What's really interesting about that is how much now
1: as an adult – we still, as children, want to protect our parents and our family and that idea of the family dynamic. And I just want to point that out because, you know, as someone in their 30s and for me, even in my 40s, like, you you still have that, like, child-protecting dynamic within you. Mm -hmm. And just when – if it's that strong for you now, like, think of probably what it was like for you as a kid.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it's something that started in, like – my very early years like I don't remember it around like age 5 or 10 but definitely um, as an adolescent um, and during the time that my parents were going through a divorce one of my parents more than the other really did um, struggle with their relationship with alcohol and I would yeah I would label them um, an alcoholic even though we know that term is, is kind of outdated but there was some really heavy like problematic drinking going on in the home that that caused some kind of like lifelong scars for me definitely even looking at it now um i would say that my parents both drink more now than they did back then sorry i'm moving a lot that's it no 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 that wasn't it it. No, I just feel like I'm trying to be careful with how I phrase things. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I know that one of my parents like does listen to the odd episode here or there, and I don't want it to come across like I'm pointing fingers or like I'm saying that they did anything wrong. Um, no, and I don't think that any of
1: our content or episodes are meant to make people... Um, feel poorly whether they're parents with children and they're considering the impact that that may have on their kids or they're you know older and they have adult children and then they're like you know looking at maybe the impact that their behavior had on them because it's really just bringing awareness around it because I think a lot of the traits or symptoms that show up are very common mental health challenges like anxiety, depression, issues with personal relationships or anger. And we don't necessarily have the awareness that things that may have happened a number of years ago within that family dynamic are possibly like part of the root causes. Of some of the things that you're struggling with today, or could be struggling with today, because they have so they can have so many different different roots, mm-hmm. and you know the I think the idea behind bringing awareness to things is so that you can start to unravel them, so that there isn't this like generational impact or effect where the cycle continues. You know, when you choose to have children, or with the children that you choose to interact with. Or if you want to address your anxiety or depression or yeah. your anger or so on and so forth. And so it really is from a growth mindset, not yeah. from a blame a
0: blame uh, blame place. Yeah, you're right,'re you're, you're definitely right. And I have experienced um, I feel like a lot of those like mental health challenges over the years and it's only recently, Probably in the last, like I would say, like three to four years, as an adult in therapy, that I've been able to kind of like uncover um, some of those causes, and and a lot of them do come back to those formative years with with the drinking parent and some of the things that came up at that those times.
1: Yeah, and I think our parents' generation versus our generation has a lot less information, and there seems to be like a lot a lot less focus on, you know. How your body responds to managing stress and the importance around mental health, um, you know, and the structure and the function of the brain, and I think more like compassion, active listening. Like I very much grew up in a household where like we would still get sent to our rooms, and there definitely was some physical punishment and things Mm -hmm. like that, and that was very much the mentality in the '80s. It was, I think, normal to some degree, Um, and and I do think all of those things can have a negative impact on children uh, all the way through to adulthood. And, but it wasn't the norm at that time.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of the traits that we see in children that are coming out of these households are consistent with the traits that the adult children of the alcoholic have. So whether that's like the approval-seeking behavior, the difficulty maintaining personal relationships, um, being really harsh in in judgments of themselves, like that does carry on. So like those small behavior changes, I feel like just compound over time into adulthood.
1: Yeah, and I think there's such a bio-individuality between people as well, where, you know, one, one child may not be affected the same way as, as another one. And I think you even kind of see that this in siblings, and I know you're an only child, but I do have a brother. I relate to a lot of maybe these traits and these symptoms, but I don't feel like I grew up in a household where there was heavy substance abuse or even alcoholism. Um, but I do feel like there, you know, there, there were some issues with me getting my emotional needs met and it, 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 there was definitely some instability in an unpredictable environment and num- a number of other ways that, re- that I can really relate to a lot of these, these traits. But there is such a difference in the way that those things have manifested within me versus my brother. Yeah.
0: Or at least from my, my, my visualization of his experience. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's normal. Every person is different. Everybody's reaction and how they cope with trauma and stress is going to show up um, in a different way. So while we were kind of collecting information and doing research for this episode over the last what feels like three months, not actually, (laughs) um, I came across a a book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it is by uh, Janet G. Uh, white tits. she goes by Dr. Jan was- I'm dying over here because you
1: would think about the, t- the number of times we've recorded this that we would be you would be professional
0: at saying that name but I've it- actually googled trip, the pronunciation trip. so many times because I want to get it right oh. but I honestly I hope that that's right and I'm so sorry Dr. Jan <laughs> she has passed on but I'm doing my best <laughs> Um, but yeah, she was a bestselling author, a lecturer, a counselor, and she was also married to an alcoholic. So she released this book in the early 1980s called the adult children of alcoholics, where she outlines 13 characteristics and personality traits that are really common to see amongst this group. And I've sort of pulled out, uh, I think I have four here that I really felt like I identified with, um, should I read them out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, number four on her list is adult children of alcoholics judge themselves without mercy. So, I feel like that is something that really shows up for me um, in a form of almost like perfectionism. Like, I. Yeah, just, like, really high self-criticism and judgment.
1: There's always, like, that little chirping voice, no matter what you're doing, that you could
0: be doing it better. Yeah, it's never good enough. And it's, like, the way that I talk to myself, I would never talk to any of my friends or people that I care about that way. I had such an experience with that voice uh, yesterday and um, there is
1: like, you almost need to bring in like an external self-resonance or like compassionate voice that oversees this criticism. But I actually really found, I had this experience with this last night. I'd had a really busy day. I sat down to do meditation and I couldn't still my mind and the whole time I was like, I should have done a longer meditation. I should have done XY y and z breathing i should have done and this went on for the full meditation and then after the meditation i had this like over this feeling that i was not doing enough i wasn't like following up with my daily practice properly i didn't do like a ritual component to it and then i stopped myself and i was like i am like fully in the criticism i have become the criticism i have like embodied it i am in the story instead of being able to like kind of just like view that I'm doing that and I think part of what's important about this trait is that you get caught in the self criticism instead of being able to observe it because I don't I don't think any person is able to be free and clear from self criticism or those those thoughts popping up but it's the Relationship to it that I think is really important quality of this
0: trait where it becomes you, it becomes your truth, it becomes the story. Yeah. Like if you tell it to yourself enough times, like you're going to believe it.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, interesting how quickly you become into that and you're like looking for always those things that you could have done better. There's like a not enoughness ever. I feel
0: that very strongly. Yeah. Also me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's funny because number nine on the list is, well, I guess it's not funny, but number nine is adult children of alcoholics constantly seek approval and affirmation. So I think it comes back to like that people pleasing, like you want to be told like, yes, like you're a good girl, like you're doing good. Yeah. Good girl.
1: 100%.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you want to be lovable.
1: You want to be accepted. Like, you know, that, that, like Seeking for love and affection is such a natural human uh need. And it's weird because I even feel uncomfortable talking about it. Like there's a part of me that is like I'm uh, uh, um, almost automatically like, no, I don't want to admit that I I need that or I or I'm going after it, but you you do it subconsciously whether you want to accept that <laughs> or or yeah. not. Um and I think you know, a lot of those things come down to A, like not getting your emotional needs met in your key development years, so you're uncertain on how to get those needs met, so then you do so in a manipulative or possibly a self-sabotaging way, because as I said, either way, you're going to try to get the needs met, whether it's like conscious and healthy Mm -hmm. or like subconscious and um, maybe in ways that aren't really for your highest and best good.
0: Yeah. So I feel like a lot of these traits really tie into each other. So Dr. Jan on her list also has- Number seven, adult children of alcoholics have difficulty with intimate relationships, which I feel like really also ties into like that people-pleasing perfectionism. You're really trying to get this validation outside of yourself, but like being, whether it's like in a trusting friendship or a loving partnership, that that feels so scary because you have to be vulnerable. And I find like for me at least, like connecting that way can be really hard. And like, I will almost like, compartmentalize and share little parts of myself mm. with different people I do the same thing yeah. because I can't bear it all to one person because I'm t- it's going to be too much I'm going to be unlovable like just so many like little things I think it's too
1: unsafe like you put too many eggs in the one basket so then the pain or the likelihood of that losing that becomes too much so what you've done is like you d- it's very intelligent you yeah. di- I do the exact same thing diversified little secrets with everybody so like you've shared there's that element connection but you never get the true connection you're looking for but then if one person criticizes or judges you you already have like those other three to the side so the pain has hopefully been minimized but i think what happens is is that like underlying lack of true connection or true intimacy intimacy is always there and is ultimately a larger longer amount of suffering that you're creating or keeps you chasing for that like endless amount of of fulfillment but backing up just a little bit about what you said about about relationships there, and I think one thing is really important to, to point out is that when there is inconsistent presence, I'm going to use as the word, uh, in the parent relationship, you know, kids learn that they cannot trust primary caregivers, and this is the mm-hmm. first fundamental, I think, important or intimate relationship for a lot of people. And so when there is inconsistency in that relationship, it, it creates like a perfect environment to form insecure attachment. And so, you know, you, your brain likes certainty, you will likely be kind of, um, you know, mistrusting and playing out similar relationships, uh, with your parent relationships in your adulthood. And, you know, I think a lot of things we're aware of and then a lot of things we're not. And I think it's also like an onion where you're continually peeling back the layers. Mm. But I think kids also know when presence is slipping away um very very organically and i think you see that when little kids like ask their parents to not have another drink when they're not even that drunk but i think there is this lack of safety that shows up in in kids when they start to see a substance or they start to feel because they don't think they really see i think they can sense uh, the, the energetic the sh- shift yeah, in, in the parent and it's, they don't feel safe because now they're it, like, they can't rely on this person that they're really relying mm-hmm. on for Their life. behavior is changing slowly. Yeah. 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 Like what I, and I feel like it's, it can be as simple as a lack of presence. Like it doesn't have to be that this person is completely fucking hammered and on the ground in the
0: wall yeah yeah just something is different now
1: something is different now like they're not as emotionally attuned they're not as aware they're they're just not with you and I think we all see this when people are fucking around on their phone at a restaurant and you're sitting there with them and you're like what the hell like I think that's how kids probably feel except for they internalize it when it's a parent they think it's their fault they think it's something wrong with them
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I think that, just to kind of circle back on that, but I think it's that lack of safety that uh, really comes through, and and it's that lack of safety in intimate relationships because you probably were disappointed or hurt a little bit all the times when those needs weren't met. So Mm -hmm. you just start to build up a little bit of an armor.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've got that for sure. Also
1: me, so I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people... (laughs) A lot of people do. Yeah. And I think what that leads to, and I think that's one of the other points there, is an inability to know what your needs are, how to communicate them, and then to create boundaries around them. And I really relate to all of those three things as well of not knowing what I need, when to draw the line with somebody. I'm always trying to consider other people's feelings over my own um and you know that's put me in a lot of very uncomfortable situations that haven't been
0: okay for me yeah yeah and i guess so the last um sort of point i've taken from dr jan's list before we move on um is the final one which is number 13 adult children of alcoholics are impulsive They tend to lock themselves into a course of action without giving serious consideration to alternative behaviors or possible consequences. This impulsivity leads to confusion, self-loathing, and loss of control over their environment. In addition, they spend an excessive amount of energy cleaning up the mess.
1: It's really interesting what you just said about impulsivity and and the uh, energy spent around cleaning things up. I relate to that so much on so many different levels. Doing something, whatever it fucking is, knowing that I shouldn't be doing it, but proceeding to barrel through it full force. And that could even be like a binge drinking episode. Mm-hmm. Like it was really like what what comes to me. It's like, should I go out? Should I not? I know I shouldn't. I fucking am like, fuck it. I'm doing it anyway. But then the amount of cleanup that you have to do for the next like 24 to 48 hours if you act like an asshole and have to apologize to people or fucking lost your keys or like you're not in a good place to to work. Left your credit card at a bar. Like, you know, I could think of a thousand things. Yeah, you're not okay to work. So then you can't work one day and you have to clean it up the next day. It's so interesting because I think sometimes we're like choosing these behaviors and this impulsivity because we can't look at whatever's going on for us at that time. And I feel like that cleanup is like part of the avoidance strategy. It's not just the impulsive behavior that we decide to do. Um, like, and for me, I'm going to use that binge drinking example, that that takes up a certain amount of time. But I do feel like then the, the cleanup is its own avoidance strategy because it's so intense
0: that you can't do anything else or yeah. face anything else. Yeah. You can't focus on all the things that you actually had on your to-do list that are maybe things that are a little scary to you. Just cancel or, everything. It's yeah, like you cancel can't everything. Do anything. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I feel like I am very, very impulsive in certain places and then extremely rigid when it comes to other things. So like on my impulsive parts, like I have, I think that I've gotten all the tattoos I have, which is like four <laughs> On a whim, like literally walking in off the street, I got a tattoo on a second date. I think I mentioned that before. (laughs) Not matching again, not matching. Mm. I got my own tattoo. Uh, I got my entire foot tattooed when I was in Thailand. Literally, it was such an impulsive decision. I went in, had the guy draw it, and it was about an eight hour tattoo session. And about halfway through, I kind of like came to and was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, Mm. I don't know if this is safe. I'm in Thailand on a small island, like from a hygienic standpoint. And I don't even want this. Never in my life before today, when I decided to get this tattoo that is permanent, did I even think that I wanted a foot tattoo? (laughs) Like it was not even on my radar. And then in that moment, I felt I was too deep in to say no, which I still could have stopped halfway through, but I just didn't. I rode through it. And now I'm living with this tattoo that I'm not happy with. But then I can be extremely rigid in my decisions like from something so small as to like buying a certain dress. I will send the link to three different people, get their feedback on it, understand what colors they think I should get, and still make my own weird decision at the end of it that is not related to any of the feedback that I got. I do
1: the same <laughs> thing, like looking outside of yourself um, instead of just like making a decision that's right for you. And wh- what I what I oh, my my other toxic trait <laughs> is that <laughs> is that I also ask people that aren't going where I'm trying to go. Mm. So if it's like a big personal decision, let's say about like a career path or even a relationship. I'd probably ask somebody that has a, t- in my view, because, like, now I'm labeling it, but a totally fucked up relationship that I don't have, you know? My neighbor. Ask- <laughs> my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. I asked one of Keisha's neighbors who might be, like, an extreme partier for he's a relationship, an, he's, but by is that an 3 a. I,
0: yeah,
1: I, yeah, I Yeah, he's totally an addict. Obviously, while I was on drugs, asking for relationship advice, and then it's like I was like also
0: career advice. I was like,
1: <laughs> crushed by what he told me, and then it's like the next day I woke up and I'm like, why, why, and, you know, why am I now taking that advice into account? But and it, in a, you know, it comes back to that not knowing uh, what's right for you, not knowing your needs, and I think it just goes to show how in Establishing that within children is because, mm-hmm. yeah, it plays out in the most simplest of decisions, like, fucking should I put oat milk in my coffee? Is should I get the yeah. green dress or the purple dress? All the way through to like, not being able to decide if a relationship or a career path or anything like that is is okay for you or not. And I feel like for me, it manifests in not being able to make a decision, being in uncertainty, and only not creating any intentional path or path with desire in my life and only in this reacting place of i don't know just doing whatever comes to me
0: yeah i think it comes down to a lot of like self esteem and mm. and confidence in your decision making, yes. which I think is something that I lack. Yeah, and it's like I'm so opposed to making thoughtful decisions because I'm so worried I'm going to choose the wrong thing and have to deal with the consequences yeah. of it.
1: Probably because you've been spending fucking forty five percent of your time on cleanup. Actually, <laughs> because you make bad because, decisions because, because I make impulsive, impulsive bad decisions and you don't know what your needs are. And even if you do know what your needs are, you're fucking like. I don't care. I'm still doing it anyway. Yeah. Because you're also chasing dopamine. And I think you said something really important about like the tattoo thing. And I think part of the reason why this particular population of people uh, tend to be impulsive is that I don't think they established healthy pleasure pathways. And their dopamine levels are affected as children because there is so much uncertainty in their household. And so... You are, like, wired to go for these, like, impulsive mm. hits of, of stuff. And there is, like, a rush, I think. You almost leave yourself, do something fucked up. There's, like, a
0: rush, and then there's the cleanup, Yeah, right? it's almost yeah. like you're riding a wave. It's almost like the Amazon Prime effect. Like, <laughs> I'm the- <laughs> really, It's like, yeah. I'm going to like make that impulsive decision. It's going to be here tomorrow. Yeah. But I'm going to get that rush. Yeah. But if it was like, okay, like, yeah, you'll, we'll get it to you in two weeks. I'm not going to order it because I know that I don't actually need it and I'm not going to want it in two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you actually had that amount of time. Um, to see, yeah, to sit with the decision and what actually is the consequence of making this decision and how is it going to play out in my immediate and long-term future, I would be making totally different choices. Yes. And I think once you start to establish that habit
1: of not understanding your needs, like you start to, you don't start, you, you start to not respect your own boundaries, which if you keep crossing that line with yourself, you start to deplete your own self-trust and self-esteem. Yeah. Like everything is so, so related and tied to each
0: other that they almost all are correlated. hmm Yeah, I think so. And with that, there's also, I think a big tie in to like relationships, like especially like romantic ones. Mm. Like I have a hard time, I think maintaining healthy long-term relationships I'm very much like like not intentionally but in this mindset of like that leave before you're left or like hurt the person before they have a chance to hurt you so I'm not able to be vulnerable and really like give myself these romantic relationships kind of that same breadcrumbing of Mm -hmm. giving different secrets and different information to different people it does show up for me romantically as well
1: yeah I I can really relate to that and I feel like I don't I'm not great in intimate relationships like that either um you know I'm single at this point and I think that actually feels like a source of shame almost like I hate telling people that I'm single at this age because it almost feels like it's like this uh, visibility of everyone can see that there's something wrong with me. Uh, mm. Like that question of people being like, well, when are you going to get married? Oh, fucking drives me absolutely yeah. nuts. I feel like it's always old family members that ask it. and It's just like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I feel the same way. And it's like anybody that is like available and present. Um, Even when I think back to some of my like relationships when I was younger, I would self-sabotage the whole situation probably after, like, the second date. I would be like, this makes me feel so uncomfortable. With somebody who is actually, like, safe and kind. Yeah. Like, I remember I went on this date. There's, like, this one person that that sticks out for me. He was a super nice guy. I think he actually started Lava Life. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time. But it was, like, so, it was so, like, in the beginning stages at that point in time. And we had gone out for a walk. And I was such a raging partier at that point in time. Obviously, he was, like... it seemed to me, normal human that wasn't raging partying, was starting like a business. Mm -hmm. I remember the next day he sent me fucking flowers. I could not receive like nice, positive Mm. feedback from somebody. It made me feel so uncomfortable. I don't think I ever spoke to him again. And when I think back, I'm like, fuck, I was such an asshole. But I didn't have the capacity to receive like kindness. Like I was you feel like you didn't deserve it. I I think subconsciously, yeah. Like it just made me feel so uncomfortable to be able to be like, oh, that made me feel good or like yeah. have somebody have like feel positive things towards me that I was like, I I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really busy chasing after this guy that is like cheating on me constantly, is a complete dick to me. As like, you know, yeah. all these other like not giving me attention. All these other things, there's such an unhealthy relationship um, that I, and I could only deal with that because I felt so much more comfortable with instability and unhealthy,
0: unhealthy relationship. And that is something that I came across um, when I was doing my reading that a lot of like adult children of alcoholics Or I think even people who have maybe like experienced like some sort of like trauma or like you mentioned, like emotional needs, not being met as a child is their selection in partners is, is choosing people who you want to fix them or you, Mm. they may need to be rescued. And you want to take on that role of like changing this person to, to save them where at the same time, like you're completely giving up again, like your personal needs and the things that you need to have met.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think when you have low self-esteem or low self-worth, like you don't feel like you deserve more. And if anybody makes you feel outside of that belief system that mm-hmm. you're holding, I feel like you you immediately just self-sabotage it. At the time, I didn't understand what I was doing. Like I, you know, can look back and reflect on it and have like great awareness. But at that time um you know I hadn't I was just like no I don't like him blah 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 yeah. like you know and just, he's so clingy yeah like I yeah I was like oh my god that's just too much can you even believe he sent me that at the first date I feel like I was uh, the same yeah and and you know now as a partially mature adult <laughs> I, I'm like I can totally see um the emotions that that it was causing me to feel really uncomfortable I didn't know how to deal with it and so I was just like and we will be ending this right now. But what I did feel comfortable with is is people like shaming me or, you know, making me feel the way that I believed that I deserved to be treated. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I'm definitely not free and clear of this at this time. I still feel very uncomfortable in relate like intimate relationships with men and I tend to still give time to people who are not available and it's not as toxic maybe as it was, but I do tend to chase after people who aren't present and like, you know, maybe using drugs and alcohol and like, there's, I don't know, there's something about that, that I find comfortable, the chaos, the chaos and just like that lack of presence, because I think for me. That's what really comes up for me and my family, which I think is really relatable to, you know, kids that grew up in a home with substance abuse is that I feel like that real true attunement and presence wasn't available in my household. And so when people are truly there with me, I feel very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I don't know how to be seen like that.
0: I really relate to all that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's a work in progress. I'll let you guys <laughs> know how my dating goes. I've deactivated Hinge because I've obviously can only handle so many things. And <laughs> fuck. Dating also, while not drinking,
0: feels impossible. In Toronto. Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy feat. That's a topic for another time. That's a hundred fucking can of worms there. We definitely should be talking about that. But uh, yeah, I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, well,
1: let's leave things on a positive note though. We talked about some fucking heavy
0: shit. Um, but there are some positive traits that people get. (laughs) Yeah. So I did find this, uh, on WebMD and they just talked about people who have actually like grown up in these environments, but then as an adult are, are showing up, they're seeking therapy and doing the work to process their experiences and whatever trauma they may have gone through in their early years. And they're known to be extremely resilient, they're empathetic, sensitive, they are responsible, and they have a, a really strong drive, like whether that shows up in their work ethic or whatever parts of their life. A lot so. of people are overachievers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and as toxic, toxic as that is, there are obviously very positive aspects mm-hmm. um, to that as well. So yeah. it's not all the terribles.
0: And I feel like I can speak to that personally. I feel like I've got some... Are we some, overachievers? I feel like I've got some kick-ass personality <laughs> traits that I might not have if I grew up in a different environment.
1: I am very grateful for my awareness um, of my own behavior and of others. So, um, you know, I feel like that's a positive that comes out
0: of it. Yeah, definitely. And I
1: think I think one of the other things is just we want to highlight and bring awareness to like the long-term impact that these types of things can have for people living their most fulfilling and best life and you know that's what we want for ourselves and that's what we hope to kind of like share and shed light on for others so when we know what the root is it's not like I think things like this can get like really heavy and you start to spiral into well I'm just this way because of mm-hmm. this but it's it's supposed to be from like an empowering way so that when we shed light on some things that maybe are in the shadows or we're unaware of, or we don't want to look look. look at that we can kind of start to bring it into the light, bring some awareness to it, um, and work through it so that you can be as present and fulfilled in your life as you deserve to be.
0: That was beautiful. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for listening and we look forward to chatting with you again. See you next time. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. This is Denise and Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.